0: He's a kick. Celtic couldn't
1: handle Vida at the set piece as a brilliant header. And tail goes. to What about that? What about that? Here's Aloisi from placing the world for us. he's
2: got You're with Shim, Spider, and so much more. Take it away, fellas.
0: Yes, hello again. Good to have you with us for episode 37 of Shim Spider and so much more. A week when a W League player received a marriage proposal on the side of the pitch after she'd scored in her final game. What a moment that was for Riley Dobson and for the game here going viral worldwide. Later on in the show, we'll be joined by Socceroos goalkeeper Danny Vukovic, who has returned to Australia. But before that two legends of the game, who are my weekly cohorts, Jelko Kalatz and Craig Moore. How are you, boys? Hello, lads.
2: I'm good. I'm good. I'm a bit tired after going for a walk for 10 kilometres. What <laughs> idiot does that at our age?
3: Mate, <laughs> you used to do 10-kilometre walk in a game, no? Huh?
2: Oh, yeah, right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, Spider, you, you had a rather boozy afternoon this week in, in the company of Alan <gasps> Boxich and a certain Mark right. Viduca again.
2: Oh my god! Friday afternoon, I got I got a little bit carried away, to say the least. And then, do uh, so we just started talking football with uh, with Boxich? And then, all of a sudden, I brought up uh, Vadukas' name, and he could not stop raving about Dukes. So he goes, "Mate, we need to facetime him. I need to tell him how good he is, and how he put me into retirement." And he was talking <laughs> about he was talking about this game Leeds played against Middlesbrough. And how he, uh, Boxich was playing for Middlesbrough Lee, and obviously Dukes was at Leeds and Lee, Leeds tore them apart. And he said, Dukes tore them apart. He said he's never felt so helpless in a footballing team watching what Dukes done to him. He said, mate, that's enough. i got to retire
0: after watching this. Brilliant stuff. And, um, and he
2: rang him up to tell him that personally. <laughs>
0: Brilliant, Brilliant. Oh, dear. Maury, um, on a more serious note, you you sent me a story this week, uh, which everybody has now seen, of course, on Thierry Henry uh, removing himself from social media until there's accountability uh, for racism and abuse on uh, such platforms. I applaud him. I have to say, I think that's a really good message to send. And it's time that they took responsibility, these social media platforms. Do you agree?
3: Yeah, 100%. I, I applaud him as well. Uh, look, we've now seen, obviously, uh, you know teams not taking the knee because they feel as if um, it's, it's, it's hollow um, and the action needs to, to be taken. Uh, so, look, yeah, no, nah, Thierry Henry, well done. I, I do applaud him. And I think we're at a stage now where, uh, you know, it's momentum's important in these kind of uh, situations, Simon, uh, I believe. And if we can keep momentum bubbling away and 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 see people starting to take action then i believe that we can make change
0: okay thanks for the moment guys let's get into it then in hard talk hard talk hard talk is brought to you by streamgate one of australia's first live streaming companies operating since 2008 they focus on virtual and hybrid events broadcasting to unlimited online audiences worldwide by either a secure private stream page or publicly on social media. Live streaming allows social online engagement as viewers are able to communicate back to the presenters in real time while social distancing. So should you require a small personal event or business-level webcast, please go to streamgates.com.au or you can find them on Instagram. And uh, how great, incidentally, to see a little success story in that regard this week. CBRE teaming up with Streamgate after they heard about their services via our little podcast. So congratulations uh, to Mitch and Dennis. Uh, Hashtag, as we said during the week, football economy. That's what we've got to do. Guys, let's start with that wonderful Raleigh Dobson story. Uh, The pictures that went uh, worldwide during the week as she scored on her final game for Melbourne City. Uh, and then received a marriage proposal from her boyfriend on the pitch after the game. In case you don't know, Raleigh is quitting the sports in order to look after her uh, fiancé, Matt Stoneham, who's uh, unfortunately uh, got brain cancer. What an incredible human interest story, guys, and 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 just very moving pictures during the week.
3: Yeah,
2: and that was it. Sorry, Maury, it was, it, was, it was very moving, wasn't it? It was, uh, to see her run over and see them embrace, uh, it, was, it was fantastic vision. And to see something like that come out of the W League and go worldwide, uh, brilliant stuff, and we wish them good luck.
3: Yeah, no, I just the same, it's a wonderful story, deserved to, to go viral, Des- deserved to, to go worldwide, uh, an absolutely amazing story. And we obviously we, we wish Raleigh and we wish Matt all the very, very best, but a great story.
0: Sure is. I'm still on the W League, uh, Canberra United secured their final spot uh, at the weekend. Um, Sydney FC uh, can clinch the premiership on Wednesday. They have a game against Melbourne Victory, who actually beat Perth Glory to seal uh, top four spots themselves. And I think they can still win the premiership too. So the top four uh, Brisbane mm-hmm. Roar, who are top at the moment, but can't win the premiership because the teams below them have got to pick up points against each other. Sydney FC, Melbourne Victory, and uh, Canberra United. And uh, unfortunate for Adelaide United, had such a great season that they have uh, missed out. And just, just to follow on from uh, the Riley Dobson story, guys, as we move over to the men's uh, game, our thoughts with Brandon O'Neill and his father Miles as he. Uh, battles terminal lung cancer as well These are horrible but uh, wonderful stories in many ways because they reveal how close our footballers are to their families and how tough it must be to try and continue a professional career when you've got all that stuff going on in the background and Brandon of course is, is away in Thailand playing for Buriram must be very very difficult for him Spider
2: yeah look uh, obviously testing times for everyone and you know, a lot, of, a lot of players are always so close to their families because their families have always been there for them. And to, to think that they are away when there is an illness, uh, they would probably like to be at home and closer to their families. Um, yeah, trying times, but a lot of the players actually play for their families when they are away. So hopefully that can help his father and we, we wish him all the very best.
0: Sure do. Um, let's move on to the A-League. Uh, the competition continues to deliver. I don't know if you saw this, guys. A wonderful piece of skill from Renault Piscopo uh, during the week, playing for Wellington against Melbourne Victory during the week. Uh, ball that comes uh, out of the air and he, over his shoulder, kills it in one touch um, and then plays it forward to David Ball. Ulises Davila also involved and, and Toma hamed the Israeli, with the finish. An absolutely a terrific goal by Wellington Phoenix, but uh, great to see that Renaud Piscopo, of course, could be in uh, Tokyo for the Olympics with that lovely piece of skill, Maury.
3: Well, he will be, um, but you're right. It was a, it was an amazing bit of skill because it come from a from a clearance from Wellington in, the, in their own box. The ball come down with snow on it, but I tell you what, it come down nice on his foot. It was a brilliant touch. And then also a great release, a great pass that put uh, Wellington on the counter that ends up with Hemet scoring a, a wonderful team goal. So great skill from uh, Piscopo. We've seen him, uh, you know, show really good uh, abilities uh, throughout his time at Wellington Phoenix. And he'll be great for... He will be in that shake-up. He'll be in the Olympic squad. So uh, great bit of play.
0: Spider, moving on to you, Um, Melbourne City, Maury and yourself both tipped them to be champions at the start of the season as Maury punches the air. They're certainly playing like champions elect at the moment. They're they're playing some terrific stuff. Uh, And that front three in particular of Andrew Naboots, Craig Noon, Jamie McLaren, they're on fire at the moment. Six straight wins, uh, the latest of which being a 4-1 success over Western Sydney Wanderers, who are going pretty well themselves up until that particular game.
2: Yeah, what, what, a, what a difference uh, when you have your full front line to pick from. Uh, I think I said last week, I, I think Naboo's made a hell of a difference. Uh, we, we have all touched on how they started slowly, but the momentum that they are growing, uh, the way they are playing, the, the press, the attacking uh, style of football is fantastic. And you know what? The front three are getting all the praise. You know, the guys at the back are doing a great job as well because they actually do bomb forward as well. I I just think they got a top squad, Son. I really do. I think they've got a really good squad. I think uh, Paddy Patty is doing a fantastic job as his first year as head coach. I really can't applaud him for any more. And hopefully they don't let us down,
0: Maury, and they win the title.
3: Right, go, go on, go on good. Best three, best three up front in the country.
0: Yeah. Simple as that. Okay. Um, Central Coast Mariners remain top of the table at the moment, although they drop points again against Melbourne Victory on Saturday, um, who again let a lead slip. Grant Brebner says they can still make the finals. Uh, Interested in in your views on that. And also, uh, probably this one's for you, Spider. The specter of Tony Popovich continues to loom over the club. A bit of speculation during the week that's uh, maybe Popper is being looked at by victory, which is probably a little bit unfair with uh, Grant still in the job, but uh, interested in your thoughts, nonetheless. Yeah,
2: I suppose that's, look, I suppose that's just talk, ain't it? Like, uh, what else are you going to say? Popper's without a job. Uh, I know Brebner's there at the moment, but uh, you've got someone of the calibre of Popper available. Uh, it's normal that his name would uh, would come up, you know, as well as maybe a return from Muskie. Could be, could be possible as well. So, but as Brebner was saying, they can make the top six. Look, nothing would surprise me in the A League, but you'd have to put a string of games of about six wins in a row. And if you can't win two in a row, I see it very, very difficult putting six in a row.
3: And and Spides, this was a this was a disappointing uh, result. Obviously, the the draw, but I, I felt that the goal that they conceded was was a poor one. And, you know they. They commit in a wider area. Then Mariners end up getting in behind them, which shouldn't really have happened. And at the same time, a team that you can still see lacks in confidence, Cansober has a really good opportunity laid on in the game. Takes a touch that gets him away from goal um, and and really the opportunity goes away, which could have been a winning goal and a good victory for Melbourne. uh, Victory. So look, you're right. They need to get on a run. And we know that getting on a run and and winning five, six, seven games uh, is not easy to do in the A-League.
0: Maury, has the as uh, the Mariners' bubble burst just a little bit, it's three without a win now.
3: Yeah, no, I, th- I think we touched on it a couple of weeks ago. That um, I feel as if there's there's better teams below that are chasing them. Uh, look, they've had a fantastic season, and, and important for the Mariners to be able to you know to bounce back, to be resilient now, uh, and get back to to winning ways. But I do feel that there's better teams uh, that are chasing them down, and that will go uh, over the top of them as well. It's
2: funny. it's funny, ain't it? Like, Simon, you just go, like, uh, we talk about the bubble bursting for Central Coast. I mean, they haven't won in three, but they've picked up points. Yeah. You know, they're you know it was a draw. I know we all say, oh, you know, Central Coast is top of the table, playing against last, they should win. It doesn't happen like that in football. And they keep picking up points. And I think Central Coast will be happy where they are at the moment. That's they should sure. be.
0: They certainly should be. They're top of the league still, even though uh, the games beneath uh, the teams beneath them have got uh, some games in hand. Just one more on, uh, on Tony Popovich, Spider, before we leave that particular topic. Um, I assume you stay in touch with Popper. It, is that the sort of job that would interest him at all? Do you know? Is he keen on a return to Australia or is he more content to sort of bide his time over in Europe and, and wait for another opportunity over there?
2: And look, mate, oh, it's a hard one because Melbourne Victory is a very interesting job. Uh, it's a massive club. Uh, it's just about whether Popper wants to go home and whether it's true that Victory actually won him. That's, that's the thing we don't really know. Is it just speculation? But as I said, yeah, when you've got someone like the calibre of Tony Popovich available and Melbourne Victory is in the position that they're in at the moment, you would actually put one and one together, which will give you two... And they would have to go after Tony Popovich if they wanted him badly. Look, I think it's a job that would interest him, for sure. Especially with what they have to offer victory as a club, for sure.
0: Biggest club in the country. Um, Sydney FC might disagree, of course. They've been uh, the class act in the A-League over the last few years. But uh, they lost on Sunday. 1-0 to Adelaide United. Another goal for Craig Goodwin. This uh, time from the penalty spot. Um, six wins in a row now for Adelaide United and uh, Spider, we'll stick with you. Joe Gauci, uh, reserve goalkeeper at the start of the season to James uh, Delianov. He was the hero, a, a string of terrific saves, particularly in the second Bobo. half.
2: What a late save. Oh, mate. Yeah, the, the one he made from Bobo was outstanding. What the, the reflex save of that was brilliant. Look, as Bobo hits that, mate, clean, clean as a whistle and the reaction of the boy to get that over the bar was was sensational. Fantastic save. And you know what? How lucky is Adelaide? Like, they got Delionovs who's 21, and I think Gouche is even younger. I think he's, like, only 20. Yeah. So, you know, these young guys are getting great opportunities to play matches. And you know what? They can only grow in confidence, Maury, when they make no. saves like that and play and perform. And the beauty is the team's actually doing well. So, it gives the goalkeeper confidence as well. It's not getting where the team's rubbish and the goalkeeper's copping goals and he's getting blamed for everything. The team's doing well and these young keepers are playing a major part in Adelaide's uh, success this year.
3: Yeah, and we, and we speak about, you know, the impacts that players can have and you look at the last two or three weeks, you know, without no uh, Tommy Urich, Yangi coming in and what a job he's done. You know, big physical lad, great feet, uh, a real handful. Um, Bimby was a little bit unhappy, wasn't he, Simon, with the, with the penalty? Um. although I did you know Craig Goodwin steps up Spiders know though what you think I thought from his run up he's only he's only going to go one side obviously Reders goes the other way but Adelaide are on fire yeah. uh, playing some good football they did take an injury I forget left fullback uh, they, they took an injury uh, which might be a longer term injury so they might have to rejig things a little bit there
0: uh, the other games in the A-League at the weekend, um, Wellington nil, Macarthur 1, Danny Johnroy with the winner, back-to-back wins for MacArthur now, so they're uh, back on track. Uh, the Brisbane Royal Western United game was postponed, that due to wet weather in Queensland. Uh, the pitch soaked up there at uh, Dolphin Stadium and uh, Perth Glory getting their first win in a month spider against uh, the Newcastle Jets. Uh, the return of Jason Guerrier, uh, to the A-League, perhaps a good move to try and shore up their rather leaky defence. And they had to do it the hard way as well after Jonathan Aspro uh, got sent off in the first half, but they managed to hang on.
2: Yeah, I, I thought they'd done well. Uh, they showed some some grit. Uh, you can't put it any other way. They were 2-0 up. Uh, they, they seemed to be cruising. And then obviously the red card changed everything. And Newcastle come out them man, with, with a bit of petrol in the second half. And they, they showed some tenacity to hold on. A uh, great goal by Donovan to get them back into great. the match. And they, hadn't, they had a few more chances that Newcastle would be very disappointed that they didn't probably score from. But, you know, Rocket's been in fine form for, for Perth. And you know what? After a month without a win, they'll mm. take some satisfaction and some confidence out of that.
3: They will, Spies. You're talking 60 minutes with 10 men. Um, you know, so you know how important when you can still manage to to get over the line and take those three points that might be you know, just a little bit of a lift that Perth have needed to to get themselves again on a little bit of a run and start looking to climb that ladder.
0: A couple um, more issues, uh, guys, before we move overseas. Um, Ange Postakoglu, uh, again, opening up on his disappointment this week regarding the Asian Cup success back in 2015 and how it didn't translate to what he calls tangible gains uh, for football. Of course, he did the same on our podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, and again, the quotes, there was no football legacy we have to learn this don't we ahead of the women's world cup in a couple of years time otherwise we just repeat the same mistakes again well he's right and
2: you know what Uh, we think we're the only three that are frustrated with some of the decisions made in football you know people like Ange when they say something mate we need to listen because these people are important to our game they have a lot of knowledge and all they want is what's best for australian football so, mate, wake up, listen to these people. And I don't mean listen to just us three. The more than people that listen to us, the better for us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, Maury, uh, the women's game, again, the Matildas uh, returning to action with two games in four days in April against Germany and the Netherlands, uh, both going to be in Europe, European-based players only, which... Uh, I'd venture to suggest is perhaps why we're seeing the likes of Emily Gilnick and Claire Polkinghorn head overseas because they're they're looking at their uh, their international futures and thinking, well, if I'm going to be involved in it, I've got to be overseas.
3: Yeah, yeah look, it make, look, it makes a lot of sense. Um, obviously, you know, two fantastic games uh, as well, so that's that's great because we know how important preparation is um, for that tilt at a at a, at a home World Cup. Um, and, you know, you touched on Emily and, and Claire. I mean, emilys I think she's been overseas before. She was with Bayern Munich, wasn't she? So, um, you know, with Claire uh, coming over to Europe, European-based camps, games, uh, it's great for our girls. And um, the more games that we can get into them and, the you know, preparing them in the best possible way will give us an unbelievable opportunity in, t- in 2023.
0: Okay, uh, last one, guys. I'm interested in both your views on this one. I, I wrote a piece during the week for the footyology website that I've started writing for um, on Wellington Phoenix and the difficulties that they've had uh, being based in the hub in Wollongong. It's, I think it's a fascinating story and one that not a lot of people have, have taken a huge amount of interest in. But something that came up during the interview that I <coughs> excuse me, did with David Dome, the Wellington... CEO, He said in in future they're looking to take a couple of games per season in the A-League to Wollongong. Uh, They want their W League side to be based there, of course. They're desperate to have a W League team. I think that's fair enough on the women's side of things. As as, uh, David said, the the league at the moment is not in a a good enough state financially uh, for the other clubs to be able to afford the travel to and forth and accommodation in Wellington. Um, But the A-League side of things concerns me a little bit. They already take a a game or two outside of Wellington to Christchurch, to Auckland, various other places. They're going to have a couple of games in Wollongong per season as well. What's the incentive for those supporters to attach themselves to Wellington Phoenix in Wellington? I, I think it's problematic. I understand the theory behind it. And I know that they want to forge a relationship with Wollongong but is that the way forward for the A-League? Moving, you know, games around three or four different centres. We're already seen it with Western United, Tasmania, Amy Park, Geelong, Ballarat, various other places. It's, I don't think it's good for spectators. Do you? I don't get it.
2: I, I actually don't get it because where's your home ground advantage? You know, like uh, your home ground is supposed to be a fortress. Your supporters are supposed to be there to be your 12th man. Uh, By travelling around, we have seen, you you said it well, Simon, we've seen with Western United, when you're travelling around everywhere, it's very difficult to get a base of supporters because you don't know what you stand for. And we all know who Wellington Phoenix is. It's a New Zealand club that plays out of Wellington. Now, if anything, if anything, they probably should play more games out of Auckland or Christchurch and actually invite... The New Zealand supporters to follow the club. That, that's that's my stance. I, I think it's a real difficult one uh, to play out of Wollongong,
3: Maury? Yeah, tough one, tough one. Look, I totally understand about the moving up, moving about. Um, if anything, for me, it needs to be just a short term uh, solution. Um, you, you need to you need to have your own home. You need to have that opportunity to have your own home, to be able to uh, generate your own fan base, and to really have that connection with your supporters. Uh, the W League side of it, Simon, I do under I do understand in terms yeah. of game finances, and no no issue there. Um, but I guess a question for you, I mean, I'm only seeing the the highlights and bits and pieces. Like, how how well have um, the Phoenix been received in Wollongong?
0: Well, look, I think in terms of uh, the local community, the business community, and David made this point very well, uh, there's a lot of interest in an A-league club there, and I think that's great. But I think if you're from Wollongong, and I know having spoken to Luke Wilkshire about this, who's uh, the coach of the Wollongong Wolves, they want their own club, don't they? I mean, they, yes. You know, they, they don't want to go and support Wellington Phoenix on a full time basis. Um, no,
2: no, I agree. I think they're happy to do it, Simon, at the moment, part time, because they're A League action every second week, which is hmm. fantastic. Plus, they've got the MPL in New South Wales with Wollongong Wolves, so they're getting an abundance of football at the moment, which is fantastic for Wollongong uh, people who live in the Wollongong area. But Wollongong Wolves want to be known as Wollongong Wolves in the A League not to support Wellington. Uh, that's yeah, that's my opinion. Uh, I, I could be wrong. I don't know what the business people down there think, but the crowds aren't big enough uh, and they're quite patriotic, aren't they, the people from Wollongong? So I don't think the crowds are going to get any bigger down there supporting Wellington, that's for sure. And when Wellington's doing well out of Wellington, yeah. they get good crowds. Hmm. They get good crowds at home.
0: I think it, for me, again, it's, it's about building... Identity, this uh, intangible word that we've spoken about a lot on the podcast over the last uh, few months. And we know it's difficult to do. The A-League is young. The clubs are young. But you have to put down roots somewhere for me. And um, by moving around the country, playing three, four, five different home grounds, I don't think it helps to do that. But, uh, hey, that's just me. What do I know? Um, Before we head to London Calling, a uh, quick shout out to Rashid Mahazi, who's quit football at the age of 28 uh, for good, he says this time. Uh, he was playing in Korea with Incheon United, says that he's been suffering from anxiety, not enjoying the world of football, says he feels like he doesn't belong and that there's not enough support for footballers, that it's it's a brutal environment. Uh, Maury, you, you got any thoughts on that before we go into the next segment?
3: Uh, look, it's, it's very sad, obviously. Um, and professional sport, it's not, it's not for everyone. And when you start hearing, you know, their the anxiety and, and not enjoying what he was doing, then for me it becomes an, an easy decision. Um, but I guess what we do need to listen to is, is in terms of the the lack of support, um, you know, that is maybe there for for players that are going through these kind of off the field issues. Simon, I think it's important that they are addressed, and um, you know, you got to continually work at that because. If we can improve those parts, like I says, we have more happy players. We keep people within the game. Uh, that's very, very important. But we wish Rashid all the very, very best in whatever he does next.
0: Sure do, and let's uh, hope it's not too long before we see him back playing in the MPL as he's promised. He may well do. Let's uh, head overseas. London calling. London calling. With over a century of experience, ACPE's industry-recognized specialist bachelor degrees will turn your passion for sport, fitness, health science, education or dance into a career. Interested? Of course you are. Find out where ACPE can take you. Apply online today for Semester 1 2021 at acpe.edu.au. Well, let's uh, start with the World Cup qualifiers in Europe. A whole raft of games over the last uh, few days. One or two little surprises. Um, Spain held at home by Greece during the week. Uh, Michael Valcanis, of course, one of the very few Aussie coaches overseas, is number two uh, to John Van Skip for the Greek uh, national team. And then Spain, Maury, only just squeaking over the line against Georgia in the follow-up game. uh, An injury-time winner from Danny Olmo. Uh, giving them a two-one win, but uh, far from convincing the Spanish.
3: Yeah, no, it's um, so a lot of these international games. One, you blink, you you, you miss a game. But there's, you know, there are a, a few surprises. Um, you know, Spain. Um, obviously, you know the draw against Greece, which was a fantastic. You know, I mean, Spain dominated the game, but Greece got the result that they, that they needed. Um, and then again, you'd expect Spain to to kind of be comfortable against uh, against Georgia, but again it's a late late stoppage time uh, winner so certainly not been convincing but i guess when you go through a qualifying campaign and if you find yourself at the world cup you're not thinking about a late 94th minute winner are eh? you're just thinking that you're at the world cup well yeah. i'll tell
0: you what they i'll tell you what they're thinking about in the republic of ireland at the moment is the uh, oh. 1-0 home loss to luxembourg oh, wow. uh, which is extraordinary stephen Kenny now got to be under a huge pressure for his job spider
2: Mate, what's what's wrong with them? Have uh, they just got no players playing at a high level at the moment?
3: No, they because, have. not like, they, they have, have they haven't won in ten. Their record, oh. their, their record is diabolical. It really is.
2: What's the problem? Yeah, right? I, I couldn't. believe
3: yeah. it. I I seen Seamus Coleman's interview after, and obviously he was you know, mate, he fronted the media, which is not hard after a hugely disappointing result. He, he didn't throw the manager under the bus. He's just like, you know, he says, I'll never hide behind the manager. He says, we've got players that should be doing better. Um, that's not happening. Um, you know, I certainly come and prepared well for this game. He says, I'd like to think all the other players did as well. He says, but um, it's, it's not good enough. And so, look, I, I don't know. There's, there's been this change in terms of, you know, Kenny coming in and he's had huge support, but he hasn't had the results. So, that's a big, big problem for Ireland.
0: Mm. Uh, the Netherlands had a big problem as well during the week, uh, defeated by Turkey by four goals to two. A hat trick for Burak uh, Yilmaz. Even though uh, the Dutch did get back on track in their uh, later game. Um, other results: uh, Serbia two, Portugal uh, two. Um, Portugal coming oh. from two goals down. That was a heck of a game, uh, Spy. Oh. Oh. Oh.
2: oh, that was. That, what? was what a- that was. What about
3: Ronaldo? Oh mate, did he did he chuck his toys out of the cot or what? <laughs> oh mate, he did spides, but oh my god, mate, the ball the ball's well and truly over the line, mate. It's it's yeah, it, uh, you know, but it's one of those ones, Simon, as well, because there was a couple of penalty incidents. There was a, a goal line technology or what it like, Ronaldo, the, the the goal that should have stood that, that gives Portugal a three two win. Um, we complain. We were with, up by two 0 Yeah, we complain with VAR. Um. And then, <laughs> and then now we, but my, my thing is, right? And I've kind of been scratching my head a little bit with this, right? So see if, 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 if rules are going to be implemented, right? And, and, and therefore you've got VAR that's, that's here. Why is it not activated and, and, and therefore used globally in all competitions? I don't think we can run with something unless it's activated at every single level in terms of the professional game.
0: Totally agree. Totally agree. I mean, this has always been my beef with this, that it's not uniform. Uh, and to be fair to uh, the much maligned and probably fairly set bladder, um, you know, this was always why he was against it, because he said, you can't have it in every single level of the game. You can't implement it, you know, all the way down to, to park football. Um, anyway, it's... Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that that was over the line from Cristiano Ronaldo and uh, he's probably right to to spit the dummy a little bit and and this is the inconsistency that I think infuriates uh, everybody. Um, Other results, Czech Republic won, Belgium won, Uh, Romania lost at home to Germany by uh, the only goal, Serge Gnabry. Um, England had a couple of wins, uh, defeating San Marino by five goals to nil and then Albania by two goals to nil. Harry Kane and Mason Mount, who's, who's in good form for club and country at the moment. Uh, Maury, interested in, in your take on uh, Gary Lineker's comments. Uh, San Marino, that they won only one game in their entire history. Um, he, Lineker's called for lower ranked teams to have to qualify uh, to play in this group stage. I, th- I think he's probably got a point, and I, I know that this obviously happened in, in Oceania back in the day, uh, largely driven by the Australia 31. American Samoa nil game in, in 2001. You, you played in that one, Maury.
3: I did, and I'm not sure how many times I touched the ball because we just kept going back for <laughs> kickoff. off um, I don't even think the ball come anywhere near me. I think Muskie touched it four times in that game and scored four penalties. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> were you smoking cigars for 90 minutes, were you?
3: Um, well, you're scoring a goal every three minutes, um, which which was a crazy... I, I agree with, with Gary Lineker. Um, I think that um, in terms of these lower tiered nations, give them the opportunity where potentially they can get more games yeah, through these pre-qualifying scenarios, which um, you know, gives them the opportunity to, to improve. Uh, and at the same time, I think the, the higher level, which we know play a, a huge amount of games, uh, are not caught up in these, these kind of meaningless international matches. So I, just, I just feel as if it's probably something that needs to be looked at. Don't know how they come about with the with the right solution for it because I know it's not it's not easy. But I certainly agree that there should be some form of you know pre-qualification to get to uh, the main stage of World Cup qualifiers.
2: Well, they had this they had this tournament, Maury, this European one, and they were all uh, ranked. They were ranked, and I think it has to happen because I'm not being funny. There was there, there must have been 20 games on today, all national team matches. And there wasn't a game worth watching that had some sort of interest. Like, there's too many, too many uh, top teams against smaller teams. And they don't take it. Look, they take it serious because they're going to a World Cup. But yeah. uh, they qualify for a World Cup. But it's the poor standard of matches, you know. Uh, I, I believe they have to qualify to get there and then earn their right to jump into the uh, groups with the better-ranked countries.
0: I suppose the argument against that is Republic of Ireland nil, Luxembourg 1. But uh, anyway, round and round we go. Um, Maury, you're in Scotland, of course, at the moment. They're preparing to play their first major tournament since 1998. They had a couple of draws in their qualifiers. 2-2 with Austria, 1-1 with Israel. What's the feeling in in Scotland? Do they feel as though they, they're going to be competitive at the Euros or not?
3: Oh, no, nah, look, they... they... <clears throat> they know that they'll go down there and, and, and they'll be competitive. But the thing is with Scotland is a lot of, the t- lot of the times, the way they set up and their structure is is quite negative. And it's not until maybe the game looks as if it's it's getting away for them before you start to see a, a positive uh, side to, to the way that they play. So, you know, they're very, very cautious. And, and again, tonight, the game against Israel, um, first half didn't really threaten much. And then Steve Clark made a tactical change and the right change um, second half and went four at the back instead of the five and, and all of a sudden they've got an extra body uh, in a forward area that, that's causing more problems and they looked a lot more positive so look, the Scottish will go, they'll go to the Euros um, they'll enjoy it, uh, hopefully we've got crowds, that was another interesting one watching that game, Scotland-Israel tonight, you know, seeing supporters against Simon mm. in, a, in a ground and again, a huge advantage for Israel which obviously they didn't take but you know, the the last game Scotland had against Austria at home was in front of no fans, so there is an advantage there for, for some nations that are able to play in front of fans
0: Indeed, um, one of the results we should make mention of, uh, Bulgaria nil, Italy 2 uh, Roberto Mancini has done a, a very good job of course, of uh, revitalising Italy, who missed out on the last World Cup in Russia, the first World Cup they've missed in 60 years I think they're on a is it 22 or 23 game unbeaten run at the moment so they're going okay, the Azuri Uh, Briefly on to the women's game again, that's Sam Kerr scoring for Chelsea in the first leg of the UEFA Women's Champions League quarterfinal tie against Wolfsburg, both the legs being played in Budapest, of course, due to the travel restrictions and uh, the pandemic. She's going pretty well as uh, Sam this season and uh, uh, could well be in line for an FA women's super league uh, crown as well. And talking of the FA WSL spider, they've just signed a new TV deal worth 8 million pounds. That's about uh, $15 million per season. It's going to be broadcast by both the BBC and uh, sky sports. So the women's game continues to grow.
2: Yeah. How good is it? Uh, big dollars for the, for television rights. And obviously big clubs behind it as well. So that helps, but the, the amount of quality games that some of our girls that are playing over there are getting is fantastic for the 2023 World Cup, really is.
3: Well, even Spides, even over the weekend, Haley Razzo scored a hat-trick in a 5-0 win for Everton. Um, Caitlin Ford was on the score sheet with Arsenal. Sammy Kerr got another double, I think. Simon against Aston Villa. Um, obviously, the return leg against Wolfsburg on Wednesday in the Champions League, so Chelsea are 2-1 up there. It was interesting, interesting to see the quarterfinals of the, the Women's Champions League, seeing some big clubs, you know, your Man Cities, your, your PSGs, your Barcelonas, it's kind of, you know, not only men, but you're seeing strong, strong clubs that have got obviously that, that women's side of it. So our girls are going really, really well over here, in particular in England.
0: More before we uh, move on to footballers' lives. Um, New rules to be introduced on heading in the UK next season, potentially. Chris Sutton, uh, former Chelsea and Blackburn Rovers uh, striker, appearing before a select committee and telling them that there should be a maximum of 20 headers per training session. And uh, what they're going to do, they're going to research the rest of the season, I think specific to a couple of clubs in particular, uh, before the findings are then uh, analysed and incorporated into the new rules this is this is going to change football fundamentally potentially isn't it Maury particularly for defenders which is the part of the pitch that you played in
3: yeah well I mean again I don't I, I don't exactly know uh, how many headers I've done each day at, at training but look it is a it is an issue obviously with dementia and a lot of the, the stories unfortunately we're hearing from from previous or past football players. Um but I so I remember when I was at Newcastle and Nigel Pearson, the warm-up alone, mate. I was I was heading the ball 20-30 times and they were getting launched from 30 yards. I used to start the game with Eddie. <laughs> honestly. <laughs> um, mate, but look, this is this is a, a, a serious issue within the game. Chris Sutton is extremely passionate about it. and um, he has yeah. been for some time. I believe his his father has dementia. Um yeah. So, look, it's something that definitely uh, I'm all for in terms of trying to reduce um, any, any further issues and making sure that we protect our players.
0: Do you reckon we'll yeah. see in our lifetimes heading being banned in football, Maury?
3: No, no, I don't think you can, no. The, I mean, I don't even know how to go into detail. I just can't see how football can be played um, with, without heading the ball. We see some beautiful moments um, I meant Timmy Cahill. Well, Timmy Cahill wouldn't have had a career.
0: Mm. But if, if it's if it's yeah. damaging your long term health.
3: Ah, but I don't think, like I said, I'm sure that we'll come to to a, a solution that um, you know, technology with the ball, making sure that within practices during the week and um, that there's a limited amount of contact. But I think the game will stay the same, and I still think the heading will be a part of the game moving forward.
0: Hmm. Interesting. I'm not so sure about that. I think, you know, as soon as litigation starts occurring, and that uh, football clubs, authorities have to start shelling out big, big amounts of money in compensation. To those who are suffering the long-term effects of this. I reckon we might see change pretty quickly. Anyway, we'll find out. Uh, Spider, last one uh, to you. UEFA is gonna end the current financial fair play rules, which in my opinion is good, because I think the current ones are a complete turkey anyway. Uh, a new system that's uh, is gonna allow more freedom of spending. Uh, and the other uh, part of this equation is that uh, there is a meeting on Wednesday that appears as though it's going to rubber stamp these changes to the Champions League and we're going to have a 10 game group stage. I don't think fans particularly want it, but clearly the clubs do and they're going to push it through.
2: Yeah, well that's uh, yeah, that's quite a astonishing, ain't it really? 10 games uh, on top of the amount of games that they play at in their own competitions back in their own countries and that's only the group stages. Hmm. So there's going to be a lot Look, guys, we've spoken about it on the on the pod many a time. It's it's all about money. It's a no brainer. It's all about money. This fair play one about spending. I'm glad they're getting rid of it, Simon. I can see you giggling because you're going to buy everyone now. But <laughs> uh, but really, you can't keep up to you can't keep up to date with it anyway. Like seriously, the clubs are doing all sorts to to buy who they want anyway. So with that now. It's gun hope the PSGs, the, the man cities, the Chelsea's of the world, uh, maybe even some of the big clubs like man United might start throwing out some cash again, Real Madrid, Barcelona's.
3: And just, uh, sorry, just completely a little bit off script. Just wanted to mention, did you see the massive, massive deal that was done also for the, the CDR? The, the, zone. the zone?
0: Yes, that's right. Mm. Yeah. Um,
3: that's a huge amount of money coming into the spider, what is already a very, very exciting league in, in, in Italy. So, hey,
2: that's, that, that's excellent. Like, I mean, the Serie, the Serie has got better and better each year because, I mean, we all know that Italy was well known for the Catanaggio defending. But anyone who watches the Italian teams play at the moment, they're playing on the front foot, and it's actually a top league to watch. It's a top league to watch. But the country that actually worries me a little bit, I mean, it's great to see Italy get that, but France is in problems. France has got yeah. big problems with the television rights.
3: And we've got some small ones as well back home.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's small. a whole
0: that's a whole different podcast, guys. Uh, and yeah. just, just to close, on the FFP rules, it's I, I'm not in favour of change just because it allows clubs like mine... To go out and spend what they want. I I just think that the basis of the whole old FFP was um, a wrong focus. I think that uh, you've got to take into account debt which is leveraged on clubs as well Um, and that wasn't the case under the old FFP. It was all about income. Uh, And I think it needs to be a fairer balance if we're going to have those rules. Anyway, thanks for the moment, guys. Uh, Let's kick on into our final segment. And we've got another huge guest waiting for us in Footballers' Lives. Footballers' Lives. Well, our guest today was born in Sydney in 1985, began his football career with Bonnie Rig White Eagles before making his NSL debut for Parramatta Power in 2002. When the A-League began, he signed for the Central Coast Mariners, staying five years since then. He's played for Wellington, for Perth, Melbourne Victory and Sydney in the A-League and had overseas stints with spore Vegalta Sendai and Genk, of course, where he stayed four years before returning to Australia just last week to be... With his family, he made his Socceroos debut in 2018. Has three caps for his country. It's a big podcast. Welcome to Danny Vukovic. How's quarantine, Vuka? Uh, it's going all
4: right. It's going all right. I've uh, I've done seven days, seven more to go, so uh, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel.
0: And and you you told us you've been on the exercise bike for an hour yesterday. <laughs>
4: Yeah, yeah, cursing myself. Um, you know, not a, not a big fan of cardio, as, as Spider will we'll attest to us goalkeepers. That's why we became goalkeepers. So we didn't have to do this cardio, but <laughs> I, I need to do something. So, um, you know, to keep the fitness up and, um, you know, keep the, the kilos down.
0: Well, we're glad to have you on the podcast. Um, let's ask the serious uh, question first. Why did you re- decide to return home and why now?
4: Yeah, I think uh, the circumstances changed in Genk. Um, you know, I was playing uh, when we did send my my wife and son home for them to be here for the uh, when the baby came. Um, two weeks after they left, I lost my position in the the team. Uh, didn't agree with the decision, but had to accept it. And around that time, I had a, a meeting with the sports director, who said um, that I could go home if I wanted. The, the club would uh, uh, support me and. After that meeting, uh, uh, I guess the, the the thought was planted in my head. I thought about it a lot, and then came to the decision to come home.
0: So, had you think, had uh, you not lost your your spot in the team, you might have you might have stayed. Is is that fair to say?
4: Uh, there was a, a, a thought uh, for that. Um, you know, coming off contract without uh, you know, my, my future certain, uh, I felt. I think we felt like it was maybe a good thing to play until the end of the season. Um, but once that changed, um, yeah, I, I kind of came to the conclusion like nothing really would would matter for me if I stay there, sit on the bench and train or come back to Australia, train here with uh, John Crawley, the goalkeeper coach for the national team and, and most importantly be here for uh, my, my wife and son. Uh, was, was,
2: so that was, that was the ideal situation, like the not ideal situation was to come back and be with the family because, mate I, mate, I was shocked when I seen it because there's no way in the world you would have been left without a club. You, you would have got a club in Europe once again.
4: Well, that's, that's it, Spider, but um, yeah, for, for whatever reason, the, the coaches made a decision to, to change. At, at the time, I was captaining the side. So uh, I think an important part of the team um, we've had a, we had a few bad, uh, games, uh, bad performances. Uh, I wasn't, you know, my form wasn't terrible. I, I, I might've had one or two goals I could have done better, but, uh, I was the one that sort of got, got, uh, got, uh, the, the chop in the team. And yeah, um, I, I, I then just thought I had to come home. Yeah, it's not, it's not just the, the pregnancy, there's other things uh, in the family that kind of, uh, made me need to come back as well and um, yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with the decision in the end.
0: Danny, we're not going to pry into those issues obviously, but uh, we are interested clearly in your, in your football future, um, assuming that you are going to play again. Uh, that opens up the door for, for an A-League club. There's been a bit of speculation about Western Sydney Wanderers. Don't know whether you want to comment on that, but uh, clearly if you're going to be in Sydney and you are, then You're probably looking for a New South Wales club, I imagine.
4: Yeah, look, I'm I'm not uh, closing the door on any options. I I think overseas is still um, an option for us, uh, whether it's Europe or or Asia, Um, but also Australia. You know, I wouldn't be disappointed coming back home. Um, Yeah, I've I've lived a year now uh, with Corona in Belgium, and it was one of the hardest hit. And know, um, yeah, the quality of life uh, is isn't great there, and and the, it is going to be like that for the foreseeable future. So, being a uh, home uh, where corona's very good, yeah, that appeals to me. We're going to have a yeah two kids under the age of uh, five and a half. Uh, so yeah, uh, but as I said, uh, not closing the door on anything. Just going to see what comes in and then make the the best decision.
0: Okay. It's, it's unfortunate isn't it that, that that's the way it's finished with, with Geng? because you had a great four years there um, winning the, the championship you're player of the year for the club obviously got your your Socceroos debut uh, during that time as well and the fans gave you a terrific send-off the video of which you posted on on social media um, you had a great relationship with those supporters it would appear
4: yeah, I did. I think it's something I've prided myself on uh, everywhere I've gone um, to really engage with the supporters and show that I appreciate them um, and I think in turn uh, you know, they appreciate that part of me. So I've always been someone that gives my time to to the supporters and um, yeah, when I, when I got to the club the, they told me that the supporters expect blood, sweat and tears. As long as you're giving 100%, they'll always support you and um, that's what I did Um, and then yeah just uh, once I started playing and uh, we were winning games every time we scored goals I'd go celebrate with them and yeah just over the years developed this great relationship and then uh, it culminated in these scenes that I've posted on on my social media it was just amazing to have them uh, at my doorstep chanting and letting off flares and giving me a nice send-off.
3: Uh, Vuka, that, that, and that's a wonderful connection that you you'll never ever lose when you when you really bond with a football club and a and a supporter base. Okay, one door closes in terms of your your playing opportunity there. Um, hopefully, a new well a new one will open for you. But that's something that I'm I'm pretty sure you'll be able to revisit down the line uh, maybe life after football. Uh, certainly, having that good connection with a with a very good club in Europe.
4: Hundred percent, Maury. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, I've already been invited back to, to do the, the kickoff, you know, that's something that they do in Belgium uh, to honour uh, an individual, normally a former player, so I'll, I'll go back at some point, but um, yeah, I've had so many messages saying, uh, you know, that I'm going to be a Genki for life uh, uh, by the supporters, you know, they've sort of uh, accepted me as one of their own now and um, yeah, certainly I'll have that connection uh, for for the rest of my career and, and post football career also.
2: Vuka, okay, it's pretty quali- it's pretty special to have uh, two Aussies captain a club like Genk.
4: Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, jo- Josip Skoko has got a a massive name in Belgium, but especially in Genk, um, he's uh, he's a club legend. It Led them to a championship and. Uh, every, even you know in my time here now, you know, everyone had only good things to say about Josip. So uh, I'd like to think I, I added to the uh, you know the good vibes that the Australians brought to the club. Yeah, that's,
0: that's the current situation, Danny. Let, let's uh, delve a little bit further back in your career to continue our chat. So Genk, of course, is your third crack at trying to make it overseas. You had uh, spells previously in Turkey with Konya Spore, and then in Japan with Vigalta Sendai, which both ended without a single appearance at either club. Why did they not work out? And, and a question on Twitter that we got from Anthony Moon, would you do it again at those clubs if you had your time over?
4: Yeah, they're, they're two completely different uh, scenarios. Um, you know, Vigalta was a loan deal. Arnie was the coach. Um, and, yeah, he... he, he He got in contact with me, said he needed a goalkeeper. I was ready to to come over going to the J-League. It was, uh, I think, a a step up in in quality um, compared to what I was playing. So it was a a no-brainer for me. Uh, But after a week or two of me being there, Arnie got the sack and um, his assistant, a Japanese coach, took over and uh, he barely would even look at me, let alone give me an opportunity to, to play for his team. So... That one sort of didn't work out although uh, i enjoyed my time there uh, apart from not playing and then turkey was just a shambles um yeah i, I got signed did my medical um you know signed my contract in, in a big press uh, press conference and then after two months uh, just before the start of the season they they said uh, i could come home that um they weren't going to honor the contract they didn't send it to the, the turkish fa and therefore, I didn't have a contract with them. So a little bit of a disaster, a little a little bit similar to to uh, uh, what's sorry I've just had a mind blank. Um,
1: Mustafa, Mustafa Amini,
4: me. yeah, Mustafa yeah. Amini. It's yeah. yeah. uh, similar to what he's gone through recently.
0: Interesting. Um, yes. let, let's go back to the the earlier part of your career. Back to your roots in Western Sydney. You, you come from obviously a family of Serbian heritage. So I imagine football was all around from your your earliest memories is that correct
4: yeah it was uh sport in general i I grew up in western sydney in st Clair. uh it's a big rugby league Uh, big city big city st Clair. it is it is Uh, i'll 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 be going back there after this quarantine spider I'll, i'll stay with my parents there so looking forward to getting back but um, yeah, rugby league was the, the big sport there as well. So for me, um, yeah, playing football with my dad uh, and then rugby league with my friends. Uh, I wanted to play a bit of rugby league growing up, but my my mum being Serbian, she said said it was too rough. So football was the uh, the obvious choice for me, and you know, I'm, I'm glad I I, I uh, stuck with it. So.
0: And you got, to, you got your chance in, in the professional ranks after starting with Bonnie Rigg White Eagles with, with Parramatta Power. Um, do you remember your debut? I think it was at High Marsh, October 2002, Adelaide City Force, as they then were. Do you remember that game?
4: I do, I do. I think uh, uh, Pantelis and Damien Murray might have scored against me that, That's that right. game. Yeah, I, it was actually, I wasn't expected to play. Um, I think uh, Liam Reddy got sent off the, the week before. And we had another goalkeeper who was sitting on the bench uh, um, for him and I was in the stands the week before. And we got to the game at Hindmarsh and, uh, yeah, uh, Nick Theodorokopoulos was the coach. And I just looked at the whiteboard and my name was in the starting 11. And I ended up uh, having to go to the toilet a few times, had the worst warm-up of my my life uh, and... Yeah, played the game. I was, I was petrified, but uh, it was a great experience still. How old were you, Vuka? I think I was 16, 16 or 17. Yeah, I was mm. uh, I was still in high school um, at the time, um, sitting on the bench. And yeah, just a, a dream and totally unexpected. I think the best way to do it, because had I known that I was playing the week leading up to it, yeah, you it would have been to- a, a horror. Yeah, horrible, horrible lead up, uh, hardly any sleep and all, all the rest of it. So I think uh, Nick Theo did did well with the way he did it.
0: When the A-League started, of course, you, you signed for the Central Coast Mariners. Um, originally, I think you were probably signed as John Crawley's number two, uh, but he got injured pretty early on. Um, he ended up, of course, in many ways, being your, <clears throat> excuse me, mentor. And you ended up that first A-League season playing in a grand final.
4: I did, I did, yeah. So... JC, John Crawley, was my mentor from under-12s, so he was my goalkeeper coach from then. And then we've linked up again at uh, the Mariners, and then after five games, he, he got his career ending injury. So, um, yeah, it was an amazing season. Again, a little bit unexpected. I, I wasn't really expecting to play much that season, but ended up almost playing a full full year And um, in a team that, you know, on paper wasn't the best, but uh, we had an amazing Team camaraderie, and I think that's what helped us get all the way to the grand final. And unfortunately, uh, we were beaten by one goal. Uh, Steve Corica, um, yeah, in the grand final uh, got the better of us.
2: Yeah, Vuka, I just want to ask you something about JC and about the mentoring that a lot of people probably don't understand because you've been with him for so long, and the likes of yourself and Matty Ryan have been with JC. How important is it for these young guys to have a mentor like that? through their careers and to help them. Can you talk, like, because there's a lot of young keepers out there, I think probably are missing what, not just the mentoring side, but the friendship side of it as well.
4: Uh, I think it's so important, mate. I think being a professional footballer is full of ups and downs and uh, probably a lot more downs than, than uh, what people realise. And it's important to have someone you can go to and and, and talk to and get advice and Put things into perspective for you. You know, I can't even tell you how many times I've been on the phone to JC and uh, just gone through certain things. You know, there, there's one recently where I felt like I didn't make a mistake. My goalkeeper coach at the club felt like I did, and yeah, it's nice to just get a different uh, point of view on things. But yeah, it's important to have someone you you can uh, trust and rely on and get that advice from.
1: Mm.
0: Back to the Mariners, uh, Danny. You got to a second Grand final in, in 2008. Not exactly one to remember. I know that we've, we've talked about this uh, before on another podcast at uh, quite some length. Uh, the Mariners lost. Of course, you had a little bit of a fallout with, uh, with the referee, shall we say. You got a nine-month ban. Uh, you missed the Olympics. And uh, you told us that you had to actually take out a personal loan to pay off the fine. Just take us through that story again and how difficult that must have been because you're still pretty young at the time uh, to deal with all that.
4: Yeah, it was uh, a bad situation, which I I got myself into. And um, yeah, I mentioned I I had to get a loan, which I I did. And I I don't want it to come across like I I don't appreciate what the Mariners did for me because they were amazing. I, I had a few comments. After that, that last time we spoke on a different podcast, and it, it might have come across like I wasn't uh, appreciative of, of what the Mariners did, but that's, that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, I, I was happy to do it. You know, it's, it was my fine to pay, so uh, that's no, no problem. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a difficult time. I, as you said, I was young, and, and um, a split second decision changed my life. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and that was something hard to, to take.
3: Look, I remember speaking to you roughly at that time. I think I'd been back in Australia for only a year, um, and I was absolutely devastated for you because it meant obviously that you missed the, the Olympic Games. and I, And I know how important for for anybody to represent uh, at that stage. And I just felt that the 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 crime never fit the punishment. Is is that kind of the way that you felt, or or even all these years later, uh, in terms of the way that it was handled?
4: I think so. Like it's I understand why it was a, a heavy penalty. it was the first uh, incident of its kind in like in our uh, in our country uh, so they wanted to make an example and I, I get it. I think the fact that after we went to appeal they did everything to try to allow me to go to to the Olympics because uh, they split my suspension up after the appeal uh, which then allowed me to go uh, I think that shows that they realized that it was probably, a bit of a too harsh of decision and then it was only uh, FIFA coming in uh, in the end saying I was um, I was banned from all international competition so it is what it is like I, I can't uh, dwell on it anymore I, I've dwelled, dwelled on it enough uh, over the years uh, it's happened and um, yeah my, my I'm, I'm happy with how my career's panned out it might not have panned out this way uh, so who, who knows how it could have been
0: Let's move on to different things then. Uh, We've we got a question from a couple of our Twitter followers, TJS1852 uh, and Ben Archer as well, about your stint at the Wellington Phoenix. Was the goal you scored for the Phoenix the highlight of your career?
4: <laughs> uh, it, it's not a it's not one of the biggest highlights. It is definitely <laughs> a highlight. I think uh, me and Spider are similar i think spider is a bit of a goal scorer uh, himself uh, in training sessions and I, I think i'm pretty sure i've seen footage of spider scoring a bicycle kick in it like a charity game or something a long time ago <laughs> yeah yeah well I, I, i'm the same like in training i'll just i'll play the ball out wide and i'll get boys to, to whip crosses into me and i'll do bicycles and headers and things like that so those that know me uh, know that I like to score goals. So uh, to score a goal in the A League and, and still be the only goalkeeper to do so is something I'm, I'm really proud of.
3: Vuka, when you when you headed the ball, but mate, the size of that head, it must have it must have went a long, long way, huh? <laughs> no,
4: no, no, I've got no comeback. What can I say? No comment. No comment. <laughs>
0: um Vukie, you, you also played I mean you moved around a bit in the A-League you made uh, a, a lot of games a lot of appearances for Perth glory uh, made another grand final in 2012 you lost again to Brisbane were you, were you getting to the point where you you were feeling a bit cursed that was, that was your third grand final that you'd lost
4: yeah definitely definitely and we were in a position to win it I think still with 15 to go we were leading and then um yeah, the, the duo of Broish and Berisha um, took over the game. And, and yeah, it was devastating again, because especially I think in previous grand finals, uh, I, I hadn't let it in the game. You know, we we, we lost to Sydney 1 0 and to Newcastle the same score. So um, yeah, th- this was my chance, and 15 minutes to go, it was there in our hands, and, and we, we let it fall through. So that was a, a really tough one to take up. Was one. that
3: the one with the dubious penalty, Wooker?
4: Yes, it was. Uh, yeah, uh, I still don't think it was. Uh, I know the, the Brisbane Raw fans believe it was. Uh, it was a tough one. It um,
3: was a, a fresh it. air swing, wasn't it?
4: Well, I, I thought so. Uh, yeah, There was minimal contact at best. And ah, look, end of the day, it is what it is. Um, yeah, he's made the decision and uh, yeah, we have to live with it.
2: VAR would have got it right back then, boys. Don't worry about that.
0: Mate, not with a penalty. <laughs> <laughs> I, d- I well, think, to be honest, that they actually—you know—I was—I was obviously working on that grand final, and, and the technology wasn't what it was today. But they, I remember they did a—you uh, know—the zoom in. They got a—they got a camera and, and really sort of magnified. And there was some contact from uh, Liam Miller, I think, on Bessar Barisha. And I know I spoke to Jared Gillard that night, and he was absolutely adamant that he'd he got it correct. But anyway. We're still arguing these decisions, aren't we? Ten years on. Um, it, Vukie, you, you then went on to play for, for Melbourne Victory, uh, winning the FFA Cup with them in 2015. So you, you finally got a, a winner's medal in a, in a big game. Um, was that a bit odd, being a, a Sydney boy in, in victory colours? Not that you were necessarily aligned to Sydney FC or Western Sydney Wanderers, but you were from the city of Sydney.
4: No, not so much, especially given the fact I've played at so many clubs already in the league. But um, you know, it was an exciting move for me uh, and my family at the time, coming from Perth to Melbourne. They were the current uh, champions, um, you know, the, the, the best supported team in the league and a great atmosphere to play in front of. So, yeah, I was really keen to get there and, and felt welcome from the start. It wasn't the the best season in the end, but um, yeah, it was nice to finally get a, a medal in the league.
0: And then a year afterwards, you, you came back to Sydney, of course, uh, ostensibly because of the illness to your son, uh, Harley. Um, and along with being able to be back with your family, you, you probably had the best season of your domestic career, at least under Graham Arnold's uh, culminating in that, in that title win in sixteen seventeen.
4: Yeah. So, so true. Um, just to, Link up with Arnie and JC again, um, especially after the season I had at Melbourne, uh, I, it wasn't the best one. I think the the situation off the pitch definitely affected how I uh, performed on the pitch. So to get back with those guys who I trusted and, and who had belief in me uh, was I think what I needed. And then to join an amazing team uh, and group of players, uh, it was easy to play in, in behind a team like that. So. Um, yeah, really enjoyed my football and was able to get back to my my best form.
3: Vuka, was that also when your your wife had you in tears after the game? In in terms of saying to you that you finally you finally did it?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're right. I think I think uh, yeah. After the grand final, um, uh, we won it, and uh, I've come to the sideline and my family was waiting for me. My, my boy, my wife, my parents, uh, and my brother. Uh, and yeah, I think, I think I saw him just in the, the tunnel and yeah, my wife said it and yeah, broke down in, in tears. It, it was, uh, one thing to win a title, um, for the first time, but, uh, to, you know, I think the most amazing part of it all was that my son was there with me. He was healthy again after his operation and, um, yeah, he, he, he had his second chance at life and, um, yeah, we we're there all together uh, celebrating. It was an amazing moment.
0: Which brings us full circle, Vuker, and obviously then you you moved to Genk. Uh, we've already said that you've had a, a great stint there. Um, there's not too many Aussies. There's a few um, that go overseas and and win championships in in major European leagues. You've done that. Um, how special was was that moment winning the Belgian title for you after you know those earlier stints in it, being overseas hadn't really worked out. Uh, it
4: was amazing. Amazing moments. Um, you know, not many people gave us the chance to do it over there. Um, we lost our best player going into the 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 playoffs, as they call it over there. Uh, Pozuelo, who's now the best, one of the best players in America, uh, and, and yeah, we, we've just uh, yeah we, we've gone on in the that playoffs and, and just kept winning games, uh, playing good football, and uh, and we had uh, club bruges were breathing down our necks the whole way um, so yeah in the second last game we were away to anderlecht um, still didn't we still thought that we have to win the last game of the season to win the title um, and we're, uh, over the loudspeaker we heard that uh, bruges were losing to stand at the edge so with 2 minutes to go if the scores remained the same uh, we we knew we, we'd won the title uh, we managed to do that. And yeah, the, the celebrations after were just amazing. But, you know, grown men crying, um, you know, thanking me for helping bring a, a championship to the club. It was just truly an, an amazing moment.
0: And I know how special those uh, uh, titles are for clubs like Genk. I've actually been to Genk Stadium and it's a very small town. I think there's only 40,000, 50,000 people that live in Genk, isn't it? And and yet they average about 25,000 every week. It's amazing. Half the town turns up on a Saturday or Sunday to watch the team.
4: Yeah, it's, it's amazing. 50,000, I think, is how many people live there. It's a, a mining town, a uh, um, yeah, a working class town, and they love their football, uh, and that—that that was one of the most pleasing aspects for me, being somewhere where football is everything. And yeah, yeah I, I couldn't—I couldn't go down the road to get a uh, a coffee without being stopped and having a chat with someone. So, yeah, to bring a, a title to those people is something that yeah, is really satisfying.
3: Booker, I speak to Muskie a lot and with his experience, obviously, uh, in Belgium. He says that he was really, really surprised with the the physicality of the league. Uh, Mm -hmm. Was there anything that really took you by surprise with the league?
4: Yeah, I'd have to agree with that, the physicality. I think the the conditions over there allow you to be uh, at a high intensity for for long periods. Um, Having come from Australia, that's just not the case. You, You just can't do it. Um, so that was uh, that was um, a surprise for me. Um, I think every team offers something and offers something different. A, a lot of teams, the so-called lower, uh, lesser teams, play counter-attack football, but do it very, very well. And uh, and then you've got your, your bigger teams that, that try to play some football and break teams down, play high pressure. So, um, yeah, it, it was all a, a learning experience for me. I didn't really know what to expect, but... Um, yeah, it's, it's still been an amazing time.
0: You certainly made a great success of it, uh, Volker, I'm going to ask you one question on your international career and then we'll finish off with uh, a couple of Twitter questions. Um, you had to wait a long time for your Socceroos debut, but uh, you, you finally got there um, and you saved a penalty in, on your debut as well. Nick Rojas asked, where does that rate in your career?
4: Yeah, it's, it's up there. It's up there. I think uh, you group it in with, and making your national team debut, it's a, an amazing moment. So um, I'm not sure if it's number one, but it would be close. Um, and yeah, uh, to to play my first game against Colombia, a, a very good footballing team. Um, to come on at halftime was a little bit nervous. Uh, you don't get the best warm-up coming on at halftime as a goalkeeper. Um, but uh, yeah, happy with how I went, apart from giving the penalty away. It was a, a silly rash challenge, but uh, at least gave me something to do and, uh, you know, one for the highlight reel to uh, save a penalty (laughs) in my debut.
0: Um, And obviously big World Cup qualifiers coming up in in June, July as well. You're, You're hoping to be in the mix for that, hoping to be back playing before then, I would imagine. Uh,
4: hopefully, yeah. I, I love representing the country and being a part of the national team camps. Um, I'll be fit and ready to go. Um, you know, I, I'm training in here, but once I get out, I'll be training with John Crawley as well and potentially an A-League club if I, if I can find one that will allow me to train. So I'll be ready to go. And yeah, it's uh, some important games coming up for us um, you know, to get into the next, group, uh, next phase of qualifying.
0: I'm sure you won't have a problem finding an A-League club to help you uh, train and keep fit. Um, All right, let's finish off with a couple of uh, questions. Actually, this one is from Facebook, uh, from Dave Matthews, and he's our uh, question of the week. Congratulations, Dave. $100 voucher for Outback Steakhouse is coming your way. And Dave says, uh, does Danny believe junior goalkeepers should have more emphasis on long, accurate kicks these days to capitalise on counters? Which I think is a decent question.
4: Uh, I guess there's some merit to that. I think uh, all aspects need to be looked at, especially at a young age. Something that John Crawley used to tell me uh, um, uh, as a as a youngster, you know, goalkeeping, it's not all about shot stopping, which I thought it was. Uh, you, you know, you, you need to be good at every aspect uh, because uh, you know, if you're not, you're going to get found out uh, eventually. Um, so there's no point being a great shot stopper and not being able to pass the ball or or take a cross or, or you know, any other aspect of goalkeeping. But uh, certainly if, if you can um, harness uh, the long kick, the, the side volley, as I like to do, uh, yeah, quick, quick transition and catch teams out, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's a good thing if, if you can uh, improve that aspect of your game.
0: Okay, thanks for your question, Dave. Uh, and this final one from Arto Harkonnen. Uh, I like this one. How much longer do you see yourself playing professionally and if a genie granted you the wish that you could be a starter for any team in the world, what would be your top three? <laughs> that's not bad. That that could have been that's question good. of the week. That's yeah, boring. could it could well have been. Yeah.
4: All right, it's a, a long question. So how how long I can see myself going? Like as long as I, I I'm still enjoying it and still feeling. Uh, like I'm able to contribute to, to my team, uh, then, yeah, I think I'll continue to play. I, I'm, I'm fit and sharp, uh, as fit and sharp as I've ever been. So uh, that will continue for, for as, as long as uh, that remains that way. Uh, the three teams, um, the first one's easy Barcelona, uh, just so I can play with Messi uh, and always have a chance to win the game just because he's in the team.
0: Without your team growing up Danny?
4: No, I didn't really have a team. I had a soft spot for Leeds, so that would be my, my second uh, right. team. Um, yeah, they've uh, got a long history of having Australians play there, and, and that's why I've had a soft spot for them over the years. It'll be pretty interesting to to work under their manager at the moment. I think he's, uh, he's pretty amazing, and, yeah, that would be nice. And I might go a bit out there for the third one, Uh not not a, a huge footballing uh, club, but it's it's up there in, in its region. It's Urawa Red Diamonds. Yeah, not so much, not so much for the the level that they play at, but just the the city, the people, the culture there. I, I really enjoyed it. So, uh, and and their supporters are amazing. So it would be nice uh, to to play for for them and and experience the Japanese culture again
0: there you go or if you're listening then uh, danny's available <laughs> and willing to go Mind <laughs> you, barcelona could be uh, could be listening or Leeds. who knows <laughs> i might come let's, in for you danny um, spider <laughs> you get the final word go on your, your weekly question mate, vuka
2: vuka the weekly question is mate the best stadium you've ever played at and the biggest dungeon you've ever played at
4: all right so i've played at some good ones um in recent memory, the Besiktas' stadium, I think it's Vodafone Arena in Istanbul. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was amazing. The atmosphere there was, was incredible. Uh, I don't think I'll ever experience a noise like I did uh, that night that we played there. The dungeon, uh, there's a lot of dungeons in, in Belgium. I'll <laughs> say that, uh, there's a lot. You know You know what? The, uh, the team that uh, Trent Sainsbury is playing for at the moment, uh, Kortrek, that's that's a dungeon. If you don't get to play them in the first two or three games of the season, you know you're playing on a cow paddy because uh, it yeah, it's a, it's, a, <laughs> it's, a, it's it's a, it's, it's, a, it's only good for the first two or three games, and then once the rain comes and it, it's all over. So um, that'd be my biggest dungeon to play at.
0: <laughs> Absolutely brilliant, Vuka. Um, listen, we we really thank you for uh, spending. Uh, so much time with us today, um, and we wish you all the very best for your future career, be it here in Australia, which, of course, we hope it is, or, or if not, uh, overseas. And, uh, yeah, go uh, go well in quarantine, and um, I'm sure your family can't wait to see you. So it's, it's great to have you back uh, down under. Cheers, Danny. Cheers, Thanks, boys. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Luca. Good luck,
4: mate. No worries. Uh, Thanks, boys. That was fun.
0: And that is us for another edition of Shim, Spider, and so much more. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends about us as we want to continue growing. Until next week, bye for now.